now, this morning, uh, we're, we're going to jump into a brand new series called Unapologetic. And so this morning, I hold a red pill. These are big pills, amen, church? <laughs> hold a red pill and a blue pill. Now, this sort of choice was made popular in a, in a blockbuster film in the late 90s, early 2000s. And two pills are presented. The option was if you take the blue pill, you'll go to sleep and you will wake up and everything will be as it was before. Second option was if you take the red pill, you get the truth. You get to know what's going on behind the curtains because things are not always as they seem. And that's so applicable to us as Christians because I believe, church, we live in a world where most people are happy to say, you know what, I don't want to know. I just want to live my life. I want to follow the American dream. Give me the blue pill. But I think Christians should be red pill people. Christians should want to know the truth at all costs. Christians should love the truth. We should live in the truth. And ultimately, we should also defend the truth. Do you want to know the truth, church? I believe you should, because we have the truth. Now, we're jumping into a series that we're calling Unapologetic. Now, why are we calling it that? Well, because we are entering into a several months. We're leading up to a conference on evangelism and apologetics. Um, but we're calling it unapologetic because we are going to be, as a church, unapologetically apologetic in our living. Now, what is apologetics? You've heard that term. It's simply this. Eric Hernandez kind of laid a foundation last week. Apologetics is simply defending the truth of Christianity, or even you might say it this way, it's giving an answer for what you believe. First Peter 3.15, always be ready, be prepared to give an answer or to give a defense for the reason that you have hope. And I don't know about you, church, but I have hope. In fact, that's what gets me through from day to day because sometimes life is difficult. Let's be honest, as Americans, for the most part, it isn't that difficult. We have so many blessings. We could be waking up in Ukraine right now. But here's what I also know, and we're probably going to talk about this later on in our series, that for us as people, life is difficult, and we live through difficult times, and we have certain things that affect us and our family, and we have sorrow and sadness. But thankfully, we have this hope. And so apologetics is about showing people why you have that hope. Why are you a Christian? We saw this last week. We're Christians, first and foremost, because it's true. It's true. And so today, we're going to lay a bit of a foundation, uh, and we're going to talk about this foundational idea of truth. Now, this may sound absurd to you, but there is a large portion of the world that we live in that rejects the very idea of truth. Now, I'm not just talking about the truth of God's Word. I'm talking about the idea of truth in general. And as you look around... I don't know if you've noticed or not, uh, but things are changing, or they have been changing for quite some time. There is an overwhelming distrust for authority in our world. Uh, there are divisions among people that 30, 40, 50 years ago weren't quite as pronounced. Uh, maybe you've noticed lies and mistruths coming from people 
and authority. Maybe you've noticed disagreements on how to interpret basic documents like the Constitution of the United States or Scripture itself. Maybe you've even heard someone say, well, you know what, that might be wrong for you, but it's not wrong for me. Or who are you to tell me that you have the truth and that what I believe is wrong, the audacity, that you could say such a thing? What if I told you the reason all these things are happening, the reason why everyone thinks their opinion is right, or the reason people mistrust authority, or there's division and disagreement, that lies come from high place, that we can't even agree on basic principles anymore, that people think they can determine their own morality. What if I told you the reason for all that was we live in a society that is in what I'm going to call an advanced state of truth decay. We're living in a time where truth is constantly being broken down and broken down and broken down. And so as a Christian, I'm a Christian because it's true, I have to be able to sort of lay a foundation for why truth is even knowable in the first place. So this morning, I'm going to give you a basic definition of truth. Now, there are many, depending on who you talk to, that will try to sneak in a different definition. This is called a uh, truth correspondence theory. It says this, truth is the correspondence of a statement with reality. There it is. Truth is the correspondence of a statement with reality. Now, let's unpack that a bit. What does that mean? Well, it simply means this. If I make a statement... Uh, it has to correspond with what is real, right? With what, what is real in the world. So um, there are basic facts that govern the universe. Now, if I were to jump out of an airplane, what is always going to happen every single time I jump out of an airplane? Well, I'm not going to float. I'm not going to fly around. Every time I'm going to rocket to the ground at breakneck speed. This is just a basic fact. So if I said, well, you know, my truth is I'm going to hop out of this airplane and I'm just going to zoom around the sky, that would not conform with the way we know that reality works and therefore it would not be a truth. So truth is the correspondence of a statement with reality. And I'm going to tell you, church, the idea of truth is foundational for everything for society, for our very lives, for our existence, truth is so foundational. That's why we're speaking on it this morning. But I want you to notice this, that truth has always been under an attack. And we're going to see that it's escalated in recent years. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to the book of Genesis. We're going all the way back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 3. And I want you to notice, first of all, the first attack on truth. Now, here in Genesis 3, God created the world. He filled it. It's a wonderful place. Man has it so incredibly good. God has given some parameters by which man should live by. We have some parameters in our lives that he's given us in his word. And here's what I know. When we disobey the parameters that God has put in our lives, it always leads to dire consequences for us. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, let's notice the very first assault attack on truth, although be it very subtle. Genesis 3, 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, and you can almost hear a little, little in these words, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now this is subtle, but what's happening here? is you have an initial attack on the truth. Did God really say, can you believe God? Is he trustworthy? Is he holding out on you? Verse two. 
The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you shouldn't touch it or you'll die. Now we have a little bit of pushback here. She says, this is what God says. Satan again, he says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you're going to be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, what's happening here? It's a full-on attack to undermine what God has said. It's a full-on attack of the truth. Creation is new. Mankind is in its infancy. History has barely gotten started. And the truth is under direct assault. Friends, this is so significant because it hasn't stopped. Now, I want you to think about the continued attack on truth. All throughout the Old Testament, Israel is supposed to be this light to the world. And what happens? They are pounded on from all the nations around them. That still hasn't stopped, has it? Um, Israel is supposed to be a light and internally they constantly turn from the truth. Then you have Christ enters into, create, enters into human history, walks among us, is here to testify to the truth. What do they do? Brutally murder Jesus, of course, this is a part of God's plan. Why were the disciples killed? Why has Christianity been more persecuted than any other worldview? Why has the validity of Scripture been repeatedly attacked? Oh, God's words, you can't believe it. There's been an assault on the truth that goes all the way back to the beginning. Now, we live in a day where I believe the truth has never been attacked to such a degree. Beginning around the year 1960, a sort of new collective worldview descended upon mankind in our collective thought, known as postmodernism. And Eric touched on this briefly last Sunday. We're going to unpack it a bit more today. Postmodernism, what exactly is that? Well, postmodernism teaches, it doesn't really teach, it's more of a, an, a general idea. Um, but some of the core tenets of, of postmodernism is this, that truth is unknowable that truth is relative, and that language has no meaning. Now, let's break those down a little bit. So postmodernism says that truth is unknowable. Um, I have encountered this in so many situations where people have told me, you can't know the truth if there's even such a thing. I had lunch with a college roommate that I went, me and him both went to ETBU. We were roommates together, had lunch a couple of years ago. We were having, uh, enjoying a burger, and he told me this. He said, Josh, he said, the truth is, there's no truth. And I know you're a pastor, and I know you, you peddle this idea, but the truth is there's no truth. Now, what's the immediate contradiction there? Yeah, you've just made a statement that you're assuming is true that negates the idea that anything can be true. It's just logically inconsistent. It does not hold up. Then he also said, and then for you to have the kind of gall to say that what you believe is true and what everybody else believes is wrong. It's just wrong of you. Again, notice the language. You're, you're wrong for saying other people are wrong. Here's what I know. Everybody can't be right. There has to be a truth that governs everything. Christianity teaches just the opposite. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Rejecting that leads to a series of consequences, which we'll see. So, postmodernism says there is no truth. It also says this, that truth is relative. Now, what's, what does that mean? Well, it means this. 
It means that depending on who you are, truth is relative. So something can be moral for you and immoral for me, or something can be immoral for me and moral for you. Um, we can sort of, it sort of reduces uh, morality or truth itself to a mere opinion. Now, I believe this. I believe you're entitled to your own opinions, but you're not entitled to your own facts. And we live in such a time where everybody thinks that just because they have an opinion, that automatically makes it a fact. Now, when that happens, when truth becomes relative, who decides what's true? Well, we all do. And if we all have, quote unquote, different truth, again, you go back to contradictions and inconsistency and things can't work. And that's why our society is where it is. And we live in such a state of truth decay. Now, here's the unfortunate part. George Barna who is a gentleman that does just an incredible amount of research in the church and Christianity and what are the trends, he says this. He says more than nine out of ten Christians affirm moral relativism. So relativism is the idea that it can be true for me and not for you. Moral relativism is this, this just because something's wrong for me doesn't mean it's wrong for you. Now, nine out of ten Christians, statistics say, affirm the idea that morality is relative. Church, that's a problem. That's a huge problem. And I'll give you an example. At my, my previous church, which I love the people there, every Wednesday night I would preach to about 20 or 30 teenagers. And once a year we would do something that we call Truth University. It was basically like a vacation Bible school for teenagers. We'd have a good time and we would talk about things like we're talking about today. And I would put them to the test to see how much moral relativism had kind of seeped into their lives. And so I would say, all right, guys, raise of hand. I want you to show your hands. Um, if, if what I say is an opinion, I want you to raise your hand and I want you to say opinion or whether it is a fact. And I would give them things like this. Um, chocolate ice cream is better than vanilla ice cream. They would all say, well, that's an opinion. Yeah, you're right. You know, that's kind of just an opinion that I have. Um, I would say um, I can run a nine-minute mile. They would say, well, that's provable. That's a fact. But you're too fat to run a nine-minute mile. And I'd say, yeah, you're probably right. Um, but then I would get into questions like this. Abortion is always wrong for all people. I guess what they would say. That's an opinion. Or I would say um, premarital sex or homosexuality is wrong. They would say, well, that's an opinion. And I would say, well, what about, I even said this one time, I said, murdering somebody is wrong. And I had one kid that said, well, I wouldn't like it. That's still just an opinion. Now, we have gotten overall to the place as a society, but even more so, it seeped into Christianity where we see truth as relative. Now, either something is wrong for all people at all times or it's okay for all people at all times. Now, I get that there are contexts where something may be wiser. Um, you know, there are things that it might not be as wise for me to do, but it may be okay for you to do, but those aren't issues of right and wrong um, or, or of fact. You know, it's probably not wise for me to eat five bowls of ice cream tonight, but some of y'all work out like crazy and it would be okay for you, but that's not a matter of morality or truth. Third teaching of postmodernism or third idea or tenet is that language has no meaning. Now, what does that mean? Because you kind of think, well, you just said language has no meaning, so how do I even make sense of that statement? And you would be right. But it teaches this, that when you read a document, whether that's the Constitution of the United States 
or whether that's what I believe is the Holy Bible, um, they would say this, that in reading that, the author doesn't determine the intent of what is spoken, but that you as the reader get to assign the meaning to that very document. Again, a relative view. And so with that idea, we really can't know anything. Church, I'm telling you, we are in an advanced state of truth decay. Now, this is so important for us as Christians because we have to be able to be reminded that truth is there, that we have the truth. That's why we defend Christianity, that God's word is true. But ultimately, if you say there is no truth, logically, it's completely, completely a misstep. Now, what are the results of our culture having descended into truth decay? We don't have a lot of time, so we're going to hit these pretty quick. Look at verse 6. It said, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took Satan's bait. She took some and she ate it and she gave it to her husband who was with her and he also ate it. The first result of truth being attacked is to question authority. This is exactly what Eve did. Satan eroded her trust in the authority of God himself. It's a telltale sign of our current culture because we are the most mistrusting, distrusting group of people. Truth is so obscure in our time. Falsehood is so established that unless you really love the truth, you'll never find it. What's the second result of our society being in truth decay? This, the second outcome of truth being attacked is sin. Uh, you know, when, when one thing exits, something else falls in. When truth is abandoned, sin slides right in there. Why? Because without truth, we can't know God. We can't know right from wrong. If there is no truth, ultimately there is no morality and there is no right from wrong that binds all of us together. Now, does this not look like our culture? We don't know up from down or truth from fiction. And that's why we struggle with so, so much sin welcoming it into our lives. Verse 7 for the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. Uh-oh, they've had this realization, we've messed up, we've fallen, instant regret, but it's too little too late. Truth decay is trying to cover our own shame. The result of truth being abandoned is we try to cover our own shame. And you know ultimately how our society currently tries to cover its shame? is uh, we just deny that there's right or wrong in the first place. We just deny or reject the idea of truth or morality. Look at verses 8 through 11. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees. But the Lord God called to the man, Hey, where are you? And he answered, I'm here in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Truth decay leads us to running from God. When truth is attacked, you have God constantly seeking after us, but we run and we hide. And that's the state of our world. Why is that? Because we don't want to deal with the consequences of our sin. Although, unfortunately, one day we will. Falsehood begets more falsehood. Now look at verses 12 and 13. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it, her fault. So the Lord God said to the woman, hey Eve, what's going on with you? She says, what is it that you've done? He says, what is it that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me. 
Well, 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 what do we have here? Fifth result of truth decay is the blame game. When truth is attacked, we blame each other. And again, doesn't that sound like our society? Well, it's the Republicans' fault. Well, it's the Democrats' fault. Well, it's Washington's fault. Well, it's the people's fault. Well, it's conservatives' fault. Well, it's Christians' fault. Everybody wants to point the blame somewhere else besides where. You know what? Maybe the reason that there's so much going wrong is because I'm a sinner and I have a problem. The sixth effect of the attack on truth is chaos. In verses 14 through 19, we have a series of curses from God on the world because of the sin of man. God created the garden good and perfect and calm and in a peaceful state. But due to the the sinfulness of man, everything is plunged into chaos and we live in that chaos. And here's what I believe. You cannot have a functioning society that refuses to embrace the concept of truth. If we can't even agree on basic facts anymore, how can we ever hope to live peaceably together? If we cannot have a foundation for truth and goodness and how to live and right and wrong, how thin shall we live? Verses 14 and 15, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, who is Genesis here speaking of? Was well, speaking of Jesus that would come and that would be, you know, the, the, the cure for this curse of sin. In fact, God would send truth into the world in the embodiment of a person named Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Truth exists, and it exists specifically in a person and in his teachings. Now, real quick, we live in a time where truth is in decay. What does that mean for us as Christians? Well, I think, I think we're called to do this. I think we're called, although society crumbles around us due to the, the constant attack on truth, I believe we are here to repair the ruins. So real quick, how do we do that? How do we repair the ruins? How do we cling to truth? Well, first of all, let me ask you this. Do you know the truth? Do you know the truth? Has there been a time in your life where you've come to the realization that, you know what, I'm a sinner. I can't fix that. Although I'd like to try to blame somebody else, or I'd like to deny it, or I'd like to make excuses, or I'd like to rationalize it. The fact is, you are a sinner. You have done things that separate you from a perfect, eternal, holy God, and I do too, and that's horrible news. But Christ loved you enough to send Jesus Christ into the world, fullness, embodiment of truth, to be murdered and hung up on a tree, to die in your place, that you might have a relationship with God if you repent of your sins. So do you know the truth? Why am I a Christian? Because it's true. How else do we repair the ruins, church? Well, we walk in the truth. That means this. When people look at my lives, they should see a reflection of truth. My yes should be yes. My no should be no. I should walk and I should live with integrity. The way I act at home should be the way I act at church. The way I act on my job should be the way that I act, you know, anywhere else. We should be lovers of the truth and walk in the truth. How else do we repair the ruins? I think this. We must not succumb to apathy. Let me tell you where so much of Christianity is right now, church. It's, you know what, Um, I I, I know I have the truth and I'm a Christian because it's true, but um, what if I hurt somebody else's feelings? Or, or, you know, I'm just going to live my life and do what I know is right and, you know, let the chips fall where they may. 
What an apathetic attitude. We need right now in our time for such a time as this, for us as Christians to get some fire in our bellies and to live out what Scripture says. To make the main thing the main thing. Let me tell you something. Newsflash. You've got maybe 90, 100 years. If you are super blessed here, that's a really small blip in history. Such a small blip. Live for something that matters. How else do we repair the ruins? Well, we don't be silent about the truth. We're almost done, church. Don't be silent about the truth. We live in a time where if you say, you know what, this is the truth, buckle up, buttercup, right? Who are you to be exclusive? Who are you to say all these other religions are wrong? Well, here's what I know. We can't all be right. Because we say each, te- each religion teaches something diametrically opposed. We can't both be right. One of us has to be right. And I'm a Christian because it's true. So speak the truth. Stand on the truth. We have to toe the line because the world around us is in a state of truth decay and rot. But I want you to think about this. Have the courage to be disliked. You know, for some reason, I think we get this mentality in our, in our head that as a Christian, I can be a Christian, but I want people to like me, and people need to like me. They have to like me. If you're a Christian, not everybody, maybe even most people aren't going to like you. How do I know that? Because Jesus came, and he had 12 people that stuck with him for his entire duration of his ministry. And ultimately, they murdered him because he made this exclusive statement of, I am the truth. Anytime you affirm a single truth that binds people together, and you say, yeah, this is wrong, and this is right, buckle up, because people aren't going to like you. That's how it is. But you should know this. You should know the tension between truth and love. Now, why do we tell people the truth? Is it because I want to be superior and I want to win an argument? Or is it because I love people enough to tell them the truth? Me and my wife have this deal, you see, where we love one another enough to tell each other the truth. When my wife puts something on that is not becoming for her, I don't, I don't say, you know what, looks great. That would be easy. But I tell her, you know what, not my favorite. And she says, thank you so much because I would have walked out into public looking like this. It's loving to tell people the truth even when they don't want to swallow that red pill. But let me tell you something. You cannot love a person by lying to that person. And if you say, well, you know what, I love people, and you never tell them about the fact that they're sinners and that there's this truth called the gospel, I question whether we truly, truly love people. Talk is super simple, but do we truly love them? Church, Ephesians 4.15 says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is head, that is Jesus Christ. The Bible says we speak the truth in love because we love people. Now, I don't know if I've shared this with you or not, but back in the 90s, and there was a, a band of, of philosophers, um, Will I Am, Fergie, incredible deep thinkers, part of a band called the Black Eyed Peas. And I want to share a truth bomb, if you will, that I think, a lyric from this song that I think is so incredibly profound, and I want to leave you with this, okay? Here's what the line says. It says, the truth is kept secret 
and it's swept under the rug. And that, and that is true. We live in a world that says, hey, you know what? Give me the blue pill because I just don't want to know. I'm happy just to live my life and maybe everything works out. They said this, the truth is kept secret. It's swept under the rug. But listen to this. If you've never known truth, then you've never known love. Let me say that again. If you've never known truth, then you've never known love. The most loving thing you can do for a person is to tell them the truth. Now, we do that with an attitude of love, not to win the argument, not to be right, not to pound people on the heads, but because we truly, truly love them. I'm a Christian because it's true. Church, you're here to be salt and light. Tell people the truth that we're sinners, but that God loved us enough to reach down and do something about that. What about those hard things in the Bible? What about sexual ethics? Because if you say sex is wrong in every other capacity except between a married man and woman, buckle up. But why do I toe that line? Because I believe this. Anytime you step outside of those perimeters that God is giving you, you ultimately do harm to yourself. It goes back to, I'm going to tell you the truth, even though it's hard for me to say, and even though you may not like it, because I truly, truly love you. And I'm thankful that we have a God that loves us enough to tell us the truth. There is truth. It's real. To deny it is to affirm it. To say, oh, there is no truth is to say, well, at some point, I really do believe there's truth because I'm trying to give you a truth right now. Share the truth. Speak the truth. But do it in love. Thank you.